welcome back to another episode of What's the Story with Jillian and Shauna. Today we're going to be talking about episode 38 of Wishbone, Dancing with the Dogs. Dances with Dogs? Dances with Dogs. Dances with Dogs. All right, so we're going to start out with a weird title. Um, I think a weird racist... Dances with Wolves just came out around this time. That's probably why. I know. Yeah, <laughs> I think that that's where it came from. <laughs> Um, all right, so this episode, um, focuses on a couple, well, actually just one Native American tale from the Dakota tribe. Shauna, do you, what do you think about this? How would you like to talk about it? Because I'm assuming you don't know this tale, but did you have some stuff that came to mind about like Native American stories or, um, kind of folklore that you learned about as a kid? Yeah, that's actually what I wrote down as notes in terms of my relationship with the story and this method of storytelling. So Jillian and I grew up in Wisconsin, where ostensibly you would think there would be more public school education about the land on which our schools were situated. Um, I do recall in fourth grade, that was the year we did Wisconsin history, a little tiny bit of um, Native American history took place. It didn't stick at the time. Uh, The place where I actually feel, uh, the two places I feel like I have a lot of kind of strong memories of learning things about Native Americans, especially in Wisconsin. The first is the Milwaukee Public Museum. So in the Milwaukee Public Museum, um, the public museum where Jillian and I grew up, there was a special permanent exhibit about Native Americans. And um, it was on a big round table and it featured something like 30 or 40 uh, people dressed in different types of Native American contemporary attire. Um, And I think think it was called like a powwow circle or something like that. Um, But that was always just probably my favorite part of that whole museum. And I was so excited to go see it. And it was so exciting. Um, but again, my knowledge of it wasn't necessarily, didn't necessarily stick. And many years later, a couple of years ago, actually, I went to Toronto and I spent almost an entire day in the Royal Ontario museum, which is art, natural history museum, a history museum, um, in Toronto. And I learned so, so much about um, Great Lakes um, Indians or in Canada, they, um, they refer to themselves as First Nations. So Great Lakes tribes uh, and how essentially white people treated them on both sides of the international border and actually learned so, so much about what happened in Wisconsin in the 70s and 80s and 90s. Um, with um with Native Americans and I was just not at all surprised to have not learned that and um that that really was just like a real clear signal of a you know I'm an adult now and it's my job to learn more and because um the people who had been in charge for the last couple of decades decided uh unilaterally that this information was not important to be taught to children <laughs> yeah that's interesting I think um I also really liked that exhibit at the museum growing up and that in the streets of old Milwaukee which was my other favorite part of that museum um and I think if I were to think back maybe even like 
So if I if you asked me this question a couple of years ago before I had done some kind of soul searching and learning on my own, I probably would have said that I learned a lot about Native American history as a kid, but I just didn't really remember it, which is true to some extent. Um, I feel like in the schools that I went to, maybe it was more like in my elementary school, we talked about Native American history a couple of different times. Um, Pocahontas was a big movie when we were kids. So I feel like there was like a little bit of a resurgence of talking about Native Americans. Uh, I also think like, you know, like the Trail of Tears is something you learn about as a kid in history class. Um, and I grew up with a really good family friend of ours who was, uh, she grew up on an, a, a reservation in Minnesota. And so she um, was is a friend of my aunts and a friend of my parents. And so we um, would go to Indian Summer every year, which is a festival in Milwaukee. And she was actually the, the like director of Indian Summer. So we would go every year and she took me to powwows as a kid. And so I felt like I knew a lot and I took a I took a semester long course on American I think it was called American Indian history and in college it should have just been called Native American history but whatever um anyway but I think like learning about black history in America you think that you know you have like a broad brush like base level bit of information and you're like oh that's all there is to know and then if you really dig in there's so much more that you just don't know um so yeah, I, I think I was kind of conflicted when we were watching this episode because I was thinking like, oh, they're so, it's so great that they're like, talking about this. And then I was like, and then kids are gonna think they know everything and they just know one story. You know, it's just so hard to, to explain that to kids that they understand like, this is just one story. This isn't all of it because it's just how we were taught. And that's obviously not correct. Yeah. I will, one thing I will say about Wishbone that I'm appreciating as an adult is that a lot of these stories from, that are not coming from books are coming from adults who are already part of Joe's life. Um, Similar to your family friend that you mentioned. So we have Senora Julia telling stories of Mm -hmm. Mexico because she was from Mexico and knew those stories. And that was part of who she was. And David's family, um, sharing their stories and now in this episode Lee sharing his stories um I really respect that and it I'll mention it later (laughs) in my key takeaways but um I I really liked that I liked that these were people who were a part of um Joe's life already um because that was good (laughs) yeah well I agree and it was also similar to once Senora Julio Senora Julio was telling her story um it was coming from somebody whose family was from the Dakota tribe. So at least it wasn't like Joe doing research for a school project. I think we talked about that, about the Aztec stories as well. Um, Joe has a very diverse group of people around him. And so hopefully he's growing up to have some sort of understanding of the world outside of just being a white male in Oakdale. Well, we know that, you know, if you're, working in corporate America, you have to take unconscious bias training. Um, I'll put that blanket statement out there. And we do know part of that is because we seek out people who are like us and who have experiences like us and who think like us and um, who look like the people we've been around. 
And when you grow up in a closed off community, like, you know, the white suburbs, <laughs> and you aren't used to seeing those or uh, like people who don't look like white people around you, then it won't feel like something's missing if there you continue to not have people of color around you. So right. my hope is that kids who do grow up like Joe have different different cultures in their life and see how these these are all people who like make up the fabric of their parents' lives as well. Um, then it does feel like something is missing. A perspective is missing. A story is missing if you know there aren't women in your social circle or your your circle of people you trust like things like that or um people like a black person or a south asian person or a latinx person <laughs> like you don't realize it's missing um until you realize it's missing yeah hopefully joe is living in a better world hopefully all right, so should we dive into the episode since we're already diving into key takeaways of some kind? Yeah, it was a good episode. I'm glad to talk about it. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, so the, the, the episode opens with Ellen and Wanda talking to someone we don't know, a stranger in the kitchen. Um, and Joe and David come in and they're like, man, we just cleaned up on the basketball court. And this stranger says, oh, Joe, you're just like your dad. And we find out that this man is Lee Natanoba, and he is planning the fifth annual Lee Natanoba event, his own event, at the library, uh, where he'll be telling Native American stories. But he wants to do something a little bit different from what he did last year, so he's kind of trying to get some ideas from the kids. And he explains that um, stories in his family are passed down from generation to generation and they tell him who he is. This is how he knows, you know, his history and, um, telling, talking about this gives him a bit of an idea for the performance. They're all sitting around the kitchen table in Ellen and Joe's house. And he's like, you know, when I was growing up, this is where we told stories around the kitchen table. And, I think it would be really cool if we could incorporate other people in the performance as well. And so I don't want to be the only one telling the story. I want other people to tell stories too. And Ellen says, wow, someone would have to be really brave to step forward and tell a story. And Lee says, yeah, I'm going to need to recruit some people. And Joe's like, well, I, I want to tell a story. I want to tell a story about my dad. And David also offers to tell a story about his family. And then Lee says, it's too bad Wishbone can't talk. <laughs> wishbone says oh I talk to you just nobody listens so that was amazing that was um, amazing and I did it like was that. so funny it was so funny wishbone was really on point in this whole episode and I did like that Lee preface that um statement about wishbone by saying in a lot of Native American storytelling um often like animals are you know the voice of reason uh, or the voice of truth or authority and it's the humans who don't don't take that animal heed that animal's wisdom which joe could yep. really use wishbone's wisdom <laughs> we could use we could all use wishbone's wisdom so later that night alan and joe are looking all through old scrapbooks and they're trying to think of a story to tell about Joe's dad and Joe's like you know I don't really remember him that much and Alan says well you were barely six when he passed away but you know you're a lot like him and 
the next day, the kids are helping Joe look through um, some of his dad's memorabilia. And there's all these trophies and like an essay contest that he won and like his report cards. And apparently Steve uh, Talbot was just the most amazing man that ever lived. And Joe is like, I can never live up to this guy. I just can't do it. And then Wanda and Lee come in and they're like, well, could you finish telling us the story that you were telling us before? And Joe says, he's sick of stories and he doesn't want to do anything about his dad anymore. And so he runs out the door into a park. And because Wishbone's the best dog in the world, he follows Joe, just runs alongside him so that Joe's not alone when he starts to cry. And he says, Joe, I'll follow you anywhere. Like the- episode got me all emotional I don't know if it's because I was holding like a teeny tiny three-day-old baby today or what but I was just like having all the feels I had a lot of feels like we've talked in the past about how the kids have experienced several major traumas and one is that Joe's dad passed away when he was young and the kids were young and it is unresolved like it is this is it's like, it's only been like six years of like half of Joe's life, but he's just a little kid. I mean, it's just so hard. It's hard. So Joe ends up running over to the tire swing where he and his dad used to spend time. And it's like one of the few memories he has is his dad pushing him in this swing. And Ellen and Lee show up and Joe's like, how'd you know to find me here? And Ellen said, well, whenever we go for a walk, you always come here. And I know that this place reminds you of your dad. So I knew to find you. And I know it's too much and so Joe's just tells him like I'm never gonna live up to him he was just too perfect and Alan so insightful Alan says you know he probably doesn't feel like a real person to you anymore but you're not in competition with him you complete his story you don't have to compete with it and at this point I started to cry because it was just too much for me she says, Joe's story, Joe, your story is still in the making and you can take the courage from your dad and like complete your own story. And then she tells some funny stories about how his dad was always locking his keys in the car, even when Ellen was going into labor with Joe and she had to take a taxi to the hospital. She's like, you know, he wasn't perfect. He had flaws too. So, you know, you don't have to try to live up to him. He also was late all the time, apparently on their first day, he was 45 minutes oh, yeah. late. And my two follow-ups to that are, I once listened to a podcast about a movie on Lifetime about Meghan Markle and Prince Harry. <laughs> so that's my citation on this. And apparently Harry was 45, but the, there is a rumor that Harry was 45 minutes late to their first blind date that they had, um, which is a lot. I don't have the wherewithal to allow no. to be 45 minutes late. Um, I once went on a date with someone who was like 15 minutes late and that pretty much killed it, right? Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, you do not have the respect to show up on time. No. Or tell me like 45 minutes in advance that you're going to be 15 minutes late. Like that's how far it is. It's not a surprise when you're running late. Like just tell me you're running late. (laughs) Right. And we can get into this, but I've been talking (laughs) to this man all day. And I was like, if you, you have a phone number, you can text me. It's not a surprise. Uh, that's happened to me too. If it's not, it obviously can't be a surprise that it has happened to me too. And I'm someone who really spent like the last like five to seven years working on getting better at like being on time to things. And I that's how I know. You always know, you know how long, 
you know far in advance when you're running late and usually it is like 30 to 45 minutes <laughs> like right and if you get lost or whatever just call somebody everyone has a phone I mean Joe's dad didn't have a phone in his right. pocket but in modern times we have a phone you can call somebody and say oh my gosh I'm lost or oh my gosh I got a flat tire or whatever yeah. Just tell them, just communicate. What a concept. Anyway, the yeah. reason I bring this up is actually later on their folding programs <laughs> for the for the event. And Ellen's like, oh, are we like, do you do you think we'll have enough time? And Joe's like, no problem. We'll get there on time. And I was like, oh gosh, this is a bad sign. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. He's inherited his dad's lack of time management skills. <laughs> so, um, do, 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 oh, so Ellen asks Joe if he still wants to do the performance, and he says yes. And he tell he reads his story to Ellen, and it's about how he wishes he could remember his dad better. But Ellen's stories about him help keep him alive for Joe. It was really sweet, and Ellen got all choked up, and I was already choked up, but everyone was just so sad. So the next day, they're all folding programs around the dining room table, like Shauna mentioned. <laughs> and Wanda asks Lee if he gets nervous. And he says no, because the important thing about what's happening is the story. It's not the performance. And it doesn't just come from you. It's from your whole family. And so the whole point of today's performance is to keep these stories alive. And so they're getting ready to go. And Wishbone gets to come along because it's very important for the mayor of Oakdale to be at this event. And... Um, they're sitting kind of in a circle around, um, like a, there's like a geometric design on the floor and all the kids are sitting around it. And then there was like adults sitting kind of around the perimeter and Lee is wrapping up his story and really our listeners should just watch it. Cause I could, he was talking and I couldn't write it all down, but essentially what he was saying was that at this table, there's a place for everyone and everyone takes turns talking and everyone takes turns listening and everyone comes together, plants, animals, and people, all come, all of creation comes together around this table. And he said, at this table, speaking turns to singing and walking turns to dancing. At this table, we're all related. And it was a really beautiful sentiment. And there was a drum circle and there were people dancing. And it was really, really cool way to end the episode. I the loved end. it. It was so I good. It was really cool. It made me miss the things that I missed most about my life before the pandemic that I'm actually the most concerned about being ready to do again which is being alone in performing art spaces <laughs> like that's the kind of thing I would have heard about I would have texted like five to seven people about and said I'm going to this would love if you came with me but that's not going to stop me from going. And I mm -hmm. have gone to so many things like that that just seemed interesting or intriguing by myself. And I have met so many friends because they were like also just randomly there, also there alone. And I talked to them and I don't like being around other people right now. <laughs> and yeah. I can imagine myself, you know, in the future going to things like that with a mask on, like even after I'm vaccinated and you know, maybe like being ready to do that. But when I walk down the street and I see restaurants full on both sides of the street and I see people in every table outside of the restaurant, I have to turn around and walk away. <laughs> like I am just not ready to be around people. 
Um, so that that made me feel like a lot of like love in my heart for those for those like shared community moments we used to have. Yeah, I agree. I was like super nostalgic watching it. Cause like I said, we grew up going to powwows and we didn't go to a ton of them, but I've definitely been to a few. And we went every summer as a kid, we went to Indian summer and um, we always made sure to catch a powwow there. And I, I just loved it as a kid. Like I am not Native American, but like, I just love the community feel of it and the way that like all of these people who have a, like a, his, like a family connection to it come together. And um, I agree that that's totally something that I would, if it was happening in my community, I would totally want to go and check it out. And I had the same, like, oh my gosh, I don't know when I'm going to get to do this again, kind of feeling in the pit of my stomach. Um, so yeah, it was, I thought it was beautiful. I would have watched the dancing for hours. I just loved it. So um, yeah, it was really cool. I liked this episode a lot. I liked it a lot. And I'll be honest, like, one of my takeaways, and this is not my key takeaway, um, was that white people's cultures are just not as interesting as the rest. <laughs> like, this is 100% true. Like, I, I grew up uh, in the Indian community. My parents are South Asian, and I know, like, different, I should specify, like, a Hindu community as well, because I was exposed to and met people with who grew up in the Sikh community and the Jain community and the Muslim community and like there's so many different communities even in the South Asian community that I grew up with who had different experiences and cultures and then there's so many more interesting cultures um, that I was exposed to growing up and even as an adult and I'm just like the blandest seasoningless <laughs> culture is the one that is like you know controlling the rest and killing other people like it's just like why why well uh, yes I completely agree that white people are boring as a white person I feel qualified to say that we are <laughs> but <laughs> I would say just a lot (laughs) yeah I don't I don't disagree at all I don't (laughs) disagree at all I would say that there are some dimensions to white people but at the end of the day they are all just white but like growing up in Milwaukee you go to lots of different Milwaukee is the city of festivals so there's like all different kinds of festivals you could theoretically experience different things mostly I'm thinking I like to watch Irish dancing and not everyone in Europe dances the way that Irish people dance but if that dancing happened somewhere else, I would also like it. I just like to watch people dance. So Yeah, me too. Watching people dance is so cool because I can't do it, first of all. Exactly. I'm constantly <laughs> amazed. Yeah, it's so cool. But like, there's so, there's so much like community in that too. Like, whether well, we're talking about- Well, it's the same about- thing like a powwow, right? Like, yeah. It's like, I just love the feel of like all of these people- well, actually, I don't like it as much at Irish Fest. Like, I like going to Irish Fest because, like, my family is, like, mostly Irish. And, like, it feels like you have some sort of community that you're related to, even though I've never been to Ireland, so I don't really care that much. But when I was a kid, I did feel some sort of pull to it. But, like, I don't really like the community around Irish dancing as much as I like, like, when I go to a powwow. Because that feels like real people's heritage. And, like, at Irish Fest, it's just, like, a bunch of white people pretending like they're Irish. Well, Yeah. <laughs> 
I have no comments. <laughs> I mean, it's the truth, right? I mean, yeah. I guess some of those people might have been born in Ireland, but then they're probably not at Irish Fest because it's not like real Irish stuff. No, we should we should touch a little bit about how Jillian mentioned Milwaukee is like a cultural or city of like cultural festivals. So part of our summer experience growing up in Milwaukee is between, I think it's between Memorial Day. It runs runs from Pride Fest, which is the first one in like mid June until Indian summer used to be the last one, like mid September. Yep. And every weekend there's a different cultural festival except for when Summerfest is running. And there's like Bastille Days and German Fest and Polish Fest and Festa Italiana and uh, Irish Fest. For all the Asians, called Asian Moon Festival. Mind you, all of the kinds of Asians are lumped together, which- And each each country in Europe gets its own festival. As a kid, I didn't realize, I'm like, oh yeah, it is actually that like every kind of Asian person I know is represented at Asian Moon Festival. Right, yeah. Yeah. It's not a perfect system by any stretch of the imagination. I give Milwaukee like the slightest bit of credit for trying, but that's all they get, the slightest bit. (laughs) The very tiniest sliver of credit. But I do think... I guess what I like about it now in retrospect is like an acknowledgement that there are different people represented in Milwaukee because I think that Milwaukee is very easy to feel like you're just surrounded by the people you're surrounded by who probably look like you because Milwaukee is so segregated. So even like an acknowledgement that like there are different cultures in Milwaukee is good, but like there's so much more that could be done. That's what I'll say facts, facts, facts. Also, I just really don't know when I would ever go to one of those festivals again. Because, like, really. Strangers? No. No, thank you. No, Thousands thank you. of strangers? No. I, know. <laughs> I have said, like, basically since the beginning of COVID, ever going back to Summerfest is, like, a hard pass for me. Summerfest is just thousands of drunk, stoned, sweaty people spilling beer on you, walking into things. I just, no. I didn't like it when there wasn't a pandemic, and I will never go again. I think it's just too many germs. Yes. In high school, it was more of like a, you went for the underage drinking tickets. But (laughs) And the stories. Yeah, the stories. And driving people to Summerfest. Um... But after high school, like in adulthood, the times I went to Summerfest, like there would be like one show or like one band I wanted to go to and I would be dip in and dip out. Or like I like. Like I still don't know because I mean, you and I went a couple of years ago and we were standing on bleachers surrounded by people. We were the oldest people in our section by probably five years. And <laughs> they were all drunk and sweaty and I just don't ever want to do that again. No. And like, as someone who, for me, like concerts are an experience that I like to travel for. Like, I'm like, great. Let me like drive somewhere or go somewhere and like meet some friends at this concert. Like we'll all go here together, (laughs) like meet some friends. Like that concert we went to was Andrew McMahon, I believe at Summerfest. Mm -hmm. And my friend just sent me a picture yesterday 
of five years she found a ticket from when we saw Andrew McMahon together five years ago in Chicago and I wasn't living in Chicago at the time so I was like yeah let's go like I'm not like you know Andrew McMahon head but like I know I know a couple songs that I love so I'll go to those ones I'll go I'll go there for the mixtape and that (laughs) one wilderness song like Cecilia or whatever like that's about a satellite but okay yeah that one (laughs) I love that song (laughs) me too I actually I actually kind of fell in love with Andrew McMahon I remember after that that, you were all in I really was (laughs) I fell hard you did (laughs) oh the Andrew McMahon the 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 cult of Andrew McMahon (laughs) who's actually like a charming little white man (laughs) yeah He's got a good story. Yeah, he's overcome a lot and he's giving back in his way. Yeah. All right. So now that we've gone down that rabbit hole, that is not a recommendation for the end of the show, but that is a mid-show recommendation. Check out Andrew McMahon. His music is pretty good. All right. So we can tell the story pretty quickly. Um, Throughout the episode, Lee is telling the kids this story of a Dakota tribe, which she tells us was um, in the land that is now Minnesota, which was very helpful. And I liked the way he phrased it. Um, And he tells a story about warriors who are in search of an enemy who was, sorry, my phone autocorrected. I was trying to push them off their land. (laughs) That is not what my phone wrote, but that is what was happening. Um, and these warriors, some of them had been in many battles and some had never fought before. And he's, as he's telling the story, he's saying, you know, they're walking along this trail and you never know what, what lies ahead of you. So you always have to be listening and paying attention. And the warriors finally had to stop and rest and eat. And a young warrior, Wishbone, sets off in search of the enemy. And while he's out, he, he hears this song of a warrior in the distance. Well, he hears the song and like one of the elder warriors says, oh, that's the song of a warrior. And this could be the enemy. So we have to go find out who this is. So they're fi- trying to find the enemy or they're trying to find this warrior. And the, they follow the sound of the song and it leads them to this tree, but they can't figure out where the sound is coming from. And then the song kind of fades away. And in the silence, Wishbone gets closer to the tree, kind of like inches forward, and he sees some bones at the bottom of the tree. And then they discovered that these are the bones of a warrior who died a warrior's death. And so the warriors learn his song so that they can keep it alive. Oh my gosh, the way my phone autocorrected this. Wait a day. Um, and so Lee tells, as he's telling the story, he tells the kids, like, you can take courage from this story. The warriors have, and then the story goes on to say, the warriors have defeat the enemy and they return home and they have new stories to tell, but they also have a new song to share with their people. And so that's how they keep the song and the story of this warrior alive for others. And then the episode closes with um, Lee's kind of opening speech for when he was talking to the kids. And it's like kind of a quick montage of the whole episode strung together. And it was really heartwarming and I liked it a lot I liked it too the story was really cool um they had people in traditional um clothes clothing and traditional um face makeup face painting and um it was just really immersive I actually thought it was Uh super immersive the whole story takes place 
like they filmed it all like in the woods um and i i really liked it i liked um the different age ranges of people that we saw i like that we I saw thought that was cool too we saw really young people and then we saw um elders as well which i really liked and I totally like some of the like explicit takeaways that he said to the kids or he said in the story, like, you know, the warrior's greatest weapon is a fearless spirit and take courage mm -hmm. from the story and listen to the story. Um, I really like that. And it was cute. Like there was a little part where they were stopped and paused and thought there might be like noise and it was a bunny. So they all just like kind of chuckled and moved on. It's like, yeah they're human like not a surprise <laughs> yeah I also really liked that the like the warriors weren't speaking in broken English I think that there's such like I was thinking about like in Pocahontas I feel like they do speak in some like broken English a bit I don't remember I can't remember but I don't, I don't know. I just think like that was such a trope when we were kids and such a stereotype of like Native American culture and I don't know I just thought it was refreshing I appreciated it. So that's kind of the whole episode. Um, like we've said, I really enjoyed it. I, it seems like Shauna really enjoyed it. And I think um, I, I think similarly to the Aztec story that Senora Julia told, like, if we're going to take this kind of for their word and that they did their research, it was a really great story and it was told really well. And I thought it was told with respect and um, from my perspective at least yeah yeah I I really respect that they aren't doing the have the kids research this story for a school project I really mm -hmm. respect that the stories that are not coming from books or really talking about books about white people are coming from like credible sources um who are already like are in a like place of respect in Joe's life. I thought that was cool. Yeah, I agree. Did you have anything to add about costumes or fashion? No, not necessarily. I I liked all the the generic classic 90s outfits. There was one we've discussed earlier how I wear billowy tops and like leggings or like skinny jeans on the bottom and Ellen was wearing a very billowy top and like very like slim pants at one point and I was like that's right Ellen I'm wearing that outfit as we speak <laughs> <laughs> I like that um, yeah I Ellen we're supposed to have like a little tool on his back when he was in the story and I really wanted to see his paw using that tool it was cute. I don't know if it was like a hatchet. I might the version that I watched on YouTube was pretty grainy and it like kind of kept cutting out a little bit, but I don't because I couldn't tell if it was like a hatchet or what, but it was a tool that needed a fake paw situation, I think. Whatever it was. Yeah. It was a great it was a great episode for Wishbone's costume and the editing. Like there were so many moments where like you saw the human actors like reacting to things in certain ways and the dog also reacted that way it was so cool <laughs> it was, it was so great cool. it was great wishbone was on point in this episode it really was yeah wishbone was the star of this one all right so should we hop into our key takeaways then let's do it all right what do you have shauna my key takeaway comes from 
the lyrics of a song that many millennials know, Natasha Bedingfield, Unwritten. <laughs> and, <laughs> and, you know, a classic jam. A classic jam. Um, the specific lyric I'm talking about is the rest is still unwritten. <laughs> That's the hook. That's a hook. If you ever watched The Hills on MTV, you know this song. Um, this song has a resurgence every so often. I'm sure it had one on TikTok. Every every good quality pop song has had a resurgence <laughs> on TikTok. And the reason why that stuck out to me is this isn't the first episode we've talked about storytelling or I've talked about storytelling in like this section. And what I really liked was when Joe felt like he had something to measure up to um, with his dad's life and experience and story. And Ellen said, you are like, you. the story of Joe Talbot is still being written and you are part of your dad's story. Um, I, I, that really stuck with me because part of our experiences in adolescence and adulthood is recognizing all like stories in our lives and what stories we want to seek out and what stories interest us and things like that and and expanding your understanding of the world and um I I really like that I think you know something I'm trying to be more conscious of as time goes by is how to how to be a better person, how to be a better anti-racist, how to be a better bystander, how to be a better advocate, how to be a better ally. And part of me saying I want to be better at those things is acknowledging that I have totally and utterly failed in the past. And I am, you know, exposing that vulnerability of, hey, I'm not going to get it right. But I am willing to, you know, be the voice or be the person who takes action or be the person who speaks up in the future and in my, like, in the present. Um, So that's why that, like, the rest is still unwritten part kind of stuck with me. It's like, we do have agency in that, in the writing of our stories, (laughs) even though there's a lot that's out of our control as we're extremely aware of um currently in 2021 but we do have we do have some agency in our how we shape our own perspectives I think that's a great I think that's a great key takeaway I think if anything if I've learned anything in the past year about my relationship to other people and the role that I play in like the greater story of culture is that there's still a lot to learn you know I mean I think I think you can think you're as educated as you want but the fact of the matter is you're just not and the fact that you haven't been educated to this point is maybe not your fault but the fact that you're if you don't change it and educate yourself going forward that is so there's a lot that everyone could be doing and I think that that's a great way to think about it that you still have all of the time ahead of you to learn and and act yeah and change and be the person that you want to be or become whoever it is you want to be yeah I agree what about you what was your key takeaway um 
I was thinking actually, so at the beginning of COVID, I was taking this most horrendous uh, class on diversity in grad school. That was like really the worst class I've ever taken in my entire life. However, one of the things that was cool that came out of it was that we got extra credit for going to quote unquote cultural events, which is garbage. But it did force me to like look at kind of the events going on around town that I wouldn't have normally looked at just because I'm busy or whatever. Um, and while we both acknowledge that we don't really want to go to any events anytime in the near future, I do think um, it was a good reminder of like watching the storytelling that they did in this episode and kind of it, it reminded me of that class and like, cause there was a powwow that we could have gone to. Um, it reminded me that that is something that I do enjoy and maybe to try to find ways to do that and have those experiences in the pandemic. Maybe it's watching a documentary about something that I don't know about, or maybe it's reading a book or attending a virtual event or something like that. I think um, I, that really kind of forced me to think about it. And I think there's a there's a lot of ways that we can continue to engage and to learn like you were talking about and to um, kind of broaden our minds, even if we don't want to be in a shared space with other people right now. That is what I was thinking about. That's such a good piece of encouragement. I know a year ago now, I was much more likely to sign up for random virtual things. And now it's harder for me to commit to things after work or on the weekends, just because I work weird hours or I'm tired. or I don't know what like my mood is going to be. But there are so many really interesting panels and workshops and events um, that are happening the world over that we have access to now, which is just really fantastic and, you know, highlights that dis disabled people couldn't have gone to those in many cases. And I have the luxury of time or transportation or money that would have gotten me to a lot of those things. Um, but I, I hope a lot of this is here to stay in terms of access and um, interesting activities and seminars and lectures and stuff. And I will definitely make a note. I should I should do do more of those. I that I used to I used to go to like author events all the time. Um, nothing is stopping me from doing that again. So I I will try to try to commit. Well, I think it's hard, right? Like everyone is zoomed out. Zoom fatigue is a real thing and screen fatigue is a real thing. And all of these things are real things. But also as the weather gets warmer, maybe there are outdoor events where people can be spaced out that you feel comfortable at, or maybe, maybe not, but maybe you take your computer outside and you Zoom from outside or whatever. You know, I think there's ways to be creative that I certainly have not been doing this myself, but it was a good reminder that I could be. Totally. I mean, I lived a block away from the Jewish Community Center here in Washington, D.C. during Hanukkah, and they actually painted um, like a menorah outside on, a, on the wall, and they like painted so a flame cool. each day, and they held um, outdoor, um, outdoor events, uh, which was pretty cool, too. So yeah. That's a super creative idea. 
Yeah. Do you have anything else you want to add, Chandra? Or do you want to give a recommendation for the week? No, I don't have anything else to add, but I would love to give her a little recommendation for the week. Go for it. My recommendation is um, there's, you might see like on your Instagram or your Twitter or something like this, like, oh, like check in on your friends or don't check in on your friends. You see this dichotomy of like, oh, um, you know, don't check in on this token person in your life uh, or do check in. And I think it's all very personal. I think um, you are the best assessor of the quality of your relationships. And um, if you recognize that checking in means you just texting some random person who seems vaguely East or Southeast Asian to you that you've met before, um, maybe think twice. Um, but a way that I like to, I'll use the words check in with people is whenever I just remember a random funny story or event or thing that happened and like between me and somebody else, I just pick up the phone and I text them about it. I'm like, and I say, oh, Jillian, remember when X, Y, and Z happened? Or like, I fell and hit my head in a cab in Minnesota. Like it was funny. It was really funny. And I might, you know, I'm pretty clumsy. So maybe I like fell and hit my head <laughs> in my apart <laughs> box of an apartment I live in. And I will just text Shelly and be like, hey, remember that? And that's it. There's no stakes. I'm not saying, hey, this is urgent. This is like, I need response for you. This is just me saying, I'm thinking of you here. I'm, I'm giving you the gift of remembering this experience that we shared that's it so my recommendation is whenever you kind of have one of those memories while you're washing the dishes or or walking the dog just just text that person right away because you're not going to remember later and it's so low stakes like all you're doing is sharing a memory um you're not expecting any sort of response it's just about like you know, the shared experience. So I think, I think that's uh, an authentic way to cultivate closer relationships (laughs) as someone who's had a lot of digital relationships. I think that's great. I think I have obviously not experienced, well, not, maybe that's not obvious, but I have not experienced what people of color are currently South in East Asian people of color are currently experiencing right now or black people of color or whoever, whatever. I've not had these racially motivated experiences. However, I have had experiences where I'm grieving or whatever. And I think what I appreciate is when people don't just drop off the face of the earth because it feels like it could be uncomfortable. It feels like you could be pushing a nerve or whatever. Um, So I completely agree. And like, you don't have to like, necessarily reach out and say like oh I'm thinking of you because x y and z happened and I know that you're probably sad or I know that you're probably hurting maybe that is what your friend wants to hear or maybe they just want to be like we talk every day so I'm just going to continue talking to you every day and letting you know that I still exist and if you want to tell me something I trust that you will and if you don't that's okay too but like I'm here to send you random memes because that's what we do anyway so I agree but maybe that's just because that's how our friendship works. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, all f- friendships have a level of 
digital platform use at this point, uh, whether yeah. or not, you know, you, wherever you are in the world, <laughs> frankly, this is true. if you have this access to, you know, some sort of digital means of communication, there's a digital piece to your friendship. Um, but I think everybody figures out for themselves what that actually looks like in their day-to-day life. And like, for Jillian and me, it's sending each other like things on Instagram all the time, like every day. And like other friends of mine, it's like, oh, like every time I see something about a cat on Twitter, I'll send it to them, even though I don't have cats and I have no thoughts about cats, but I'll send it to them. (laughs) Like, it's like those little like mental, like, you know, springboards or triggers or whatever you want to call it um, that help you like kind of, you know, the relationships that you have with people exist when you're not physically with them. (laughs) Like I talk about Jillian with my other friends, even people who don't realize I have a podcast with her. (laughs) Like, like, uh, most they should know. They should know at this point. (laughs) But (laughs) but, like, I talk about my friends with my other friends. Um, I like think about my friends when they're not in this box with me (laughs) like uh I don't know it's exciting to me to like have friendships so and that's just a way I like to maintain them I also think on that same note if you talk to your friend a lot and you haven't heard from them in a while or if you like send them seven memes and they don't respond even though normally they respond after like the second or third one Maybe like take that as a cue too, right? Like just pay attention to the people in your life and like recognize that people are going through something. If I don't hear from Shauna for more than like two days, I would probably be concerned. Like, because I hear from her all the time. So just just pay attention to the people in your life and yeah. keep it going. It's been, a, it's been a long, long year, but it's not over. And, you know, we've still got a ways to go. It's hard. And I think also like we all have reevaluated what our internal deadlines look like. <laughs> like mm-hmm. I am someone who sends like red receipts. Like I want you to know I read what I, what you said me. I don't always reply right away. And I also feel that way like when I'm communicating with other people, I don't always expect them to reply all the time. Not everyone is like that. But <laughs> for me I'm like yeah. I don't I don't send a message and say, if Jillian doesn't reply to this right now, like I'm worried about our relationship. No. There, if that really was the case, I would pick up the phone and call her. <laughs> like everything else I say to her is not time sensitive. So <laughs> I think like there is a piece of, sometimes I just need to be in a different mood to reply to this text. Totally. And sometimes it's like, yeah. sometimes. I know that our Instagram conversation is going to carry on for a while. And if I'm in the middle of something, I will just leave it unread until I'm available. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. So I, but think- I know that if it was something urgent, you would just call me. <laughs> for real. And I think it's like, like Jillian said, it's been a long year. This isn't ending anytime soon this is just gonna change this is gonna continue to change the way we manage relationships over over digital platforms and I think there's no right answer also like it feels like oh well you know this will be the way that I do it (laughs) like this is the platform that I'll do it but I have friends who are my like once a month text check-in friends I mean 
never text Jillian. <laughs> like if I text, if I'm texting Jillian, this is like top of the like urgent matter. <laughs> like then she needs to know. Otherwise our communications are in a different platform. Like that's how, like, it's like, I have friends who I communicate with in different ways at different speeds about different things. And it's a lot to manage, but like, that's just part of what the digital world looks like. Yeah. 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 It's different. It is. One day we'll all be able to see each other in person maybe, but until then, manage your digital friendships with care. <laughs> That's a PSA from us to you. <laughs> I love it. What's your recommendation for our listeners this week? Um, my recommendation this week, I cannot believe we haven't already recommended because we are such stands. I recommend the To All the Boys I Love Before trilogy of books and movies. I don't know why this has not been our recommendation every week for our whole lives because this is one of the things that Shauna and I love most with our whole hearts. And I, I actually have like very few words for how much I love it. And I just think that everyone should watch. First, they should read the books and then they should watch the movies and then they should just be happy. The end. end. (laughs) Yeah, it was, uh, I just like, I'm like gushing with happiness. (laughs) Just thinking about them. Like it just was, it is truly like, I don't have words to describe it. It has just been such a big part of my adult life. Like Agreed. books, like the first book coming out, the second booking out, come when the third book was surprise announced and like Jillian and Michelle, like all like me and like my like little friend circle who all like love the books, we all like t- lost our minds. Like it's supposed to be three. <laughs> Nobody And then when the movie came out on my birthday one year. We almost died. It was a lot. (laughs) And then the third movie came out just a few weeks ago. And Shauna had a whole text thread in Instagram with all of these people that I don't know that I want to be someday friends with. And I didn't read it until I had time to watch the movie. And then I went back and reread all of the messages, well, read all of the messages. And I got to experience it all over again. And I'm just so jealous of anybody who's never read these books or seen these movies and they get to experience them for the first time because it's truly magical. It's so magical. It's just making me so happy thinking about it. I should watch them again soon. (laughs) I just can't believe that there's anybody in the world who hasn't experienced this glory. But if you haven't, you're welcome because your life is about to be great. I I just- I also can't believe we haven't recommended it before, but I don't think we have. Yeah, I think you're right. I don't even know that we've really talked about them at all. Well, that could be a whole podcast onto itself. I know. (laughs) I know. Oh my goodness. Chapter by chapter. So good. So and the books are different from the movies. There is a different tone. Also great. But they're They're both great. I totally agree. They're both great in different ways. Highly recommend. I recommend it all. I just we stand Jenny Han and Large Large and Peter K. Yeah. And only Peter in the movie. K. And Peter K. Large like, I mean, I feel like going through that stuff with Large was a transformative experience. <laughs> like, I mean, listen, when I graduate in May, I'm probably just going to sit down and read the books all in one night. 
right now I have a stack of books I'm supposed to be reading for my thesis but when I'm done girl it's happening (laughs) I'll read them again with you that would be really fun we could have a book club you know what this is a really good idea maybe we should do another (laughs) podcast Lara Jean and the sacred text. Yes. Large, uh, Lara Jean and friends. Uh, well, so that's good. what we have for everyone today. And we hope you enjoy. Yeah. Shauna, thanks for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me, Jillian. I have such a big smile on my face. <laughs> it's always a delight to hang out with you during our recordings. But like, this was a such, this was a good episode. We enjoyed it. It made us think a lot. It made us like remember a lot of things. And our recommendations were just awesome. They were. And we hope you enjoyed. Thanks for listening, everyone. We'll talk to you next week. Bye. Subscribe to What's the Story with Jillian and Shauna wherever you listen to podcasts. Every episode of Wishbone is on YouTube, and we've linked them for you at wishbonepodcast.com. Hope you'll join in.